Tim Haig Reads Books, presented by Tim Haig. Ian M. Banks thinks of the culture as his virtual train set, which he periodically takes out to play with for another 500 pages. The Hydrogen Sonata is the 13th book in this superb series of science fiction novels. Tim Haig appears to many of us to be a modestly unprepossessing human being, but he is actually the human avatar of a culture ship named the Kindle with a vast but inflexible memory. He fired up his neural lace and downloaded his mind state one more time to discuss the Hydrogen Sonata with Ian and find out why in the future sublime is a verb. The latest Ian M. Banks book is The Hydrogen Sonata, and the M gives it away. It's one of the science fiction ones, one of the uh, culture books. And the culture, it must be in competition with the TARDIS for being like the, the iconic emblem of contemporary science fiction. Really? Blame think It's <laughs> a bit of a responsibility. Um, well, I mean, the profound different tapes of, I mean, the end, in the end, Doctor Who is, uh, you know, it's really aimed at, at children, you know, much as you know, a lot of us adults you know, might like watching it. Um, I, I hadn't really thought of it that way. Yeah, well, that's a bit frightening. Well, oh, it, responsibility, it, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it, it seemed to me that way, and then it occurred to me, I'm actually not qualified to judge, because, of course, I, I don't read that much science fiction. You, your your sort of big um, advantage is is that you're a hugely a crossover writer. You write mainstream as well as science fiction, and your readers do um, do follow you um, in, into your various. Well, genres. some do, yeah. I, mean, so you, I still meet a lot of people who don't read any science fiction at all, including mine. There's a, there's a small number who, who only read my SF, uh, and there's a, a small but gratifying number who you know kind of got turned on to SF through my stuff. But uh, and there's a very occasional person you meet who will only read my SF and won't read the the mainstream. They are very very small numbers, mind you. What about do you follow the competition? Do you who, who do you read? Who, who? Ah, I try to keep abreast of both mainstream and science fiction as much as I possibly can. So. Um, I'm usually years behind, mind you. I'm not of that faster reader. I, think I write faster than I read sometimes, uh, so I just try to keep up with everyone that's you know that's that's writing at the moment. You know, keep up with the contemporaries in both fields, but but it's a struggle. God, but you know, yeah. Um, so yeah, just whoever I get my hands on. I suppose my sort of favourite, um, I guess probably the person who's impressed me most in the mainstream in the last few years. Uh, well, specifically for Cloud Atlas, David Mitchell. Um, that's, I think that's the thing I've enjoyed by far of, of his. Uh, the most, and uh, I love Alan Warner's stuff. He is a great writer, and in science fiction, uh, I suppose Dan Simmons. I think he's gone slightly off the boil. I'm not I'm been quite so entranced by some of his later stuff, but uh, yeah, just a general spread of as many as I can get my hands on, basically. The Hydrogen Sonata is uh, a book that involves a a civilization which is subliming. Well, I'm thrilled with that because other uh, cultures have done this in, in, in previous culture novels. And I've always been very intrigued by it, but it's never been sent to stage before. So uh, tell me, what is what is subliming? Uh, it's kind of copping off to uh, a, not a non-mystical otherworld, a strange elevated realm. Uh, the idea is it's a bit like going into a virtual realm, except uh, it's, not, it's not virtual in the sense that it... There is no off switch. It's not running on some you know substrate or computers or whatever, uh, and it has kind of sense always existed. It's based in the in uh, the enfolded enfolded um, extra dimensions that are inherent in string theory, and that is where the, the sublime realm is, and it is a way of uh, cashing in your chips. And uh, uh, and some it has been referred to as going into a, a sort of um, 
metaphysical retirement home in a way, but uh, most people who choose to do it regard it as something rather more akin to uh, promotion and uh, in a sense a sort of um, uh, you know, materialist version of heaven, I suppose. Well, but why would a, a civilization do it? Oh, because it basically implies complete continuity forever. No one's ever gone extinct, as far as anyone can tell. Uh, no, no one has ever gone in there, has ever you know, not stayed in, as it were. Uh, and of course, and they can come out as well. There is can, a, a conduit of sorts. Yeah, very, very few ever do, and they, they come back, you know, kind of incapable of explaining just how you know totally marvelous and wonderful it is. Um, so yeah, it, it can happen. Yeah, and there's there's a very there's a great degree of confidence that it's, it isn't you know some sort of trick or you know everyone goes in and no one's ever come back and say no, don't go, it's horrible. You know that doesn't happen. So it is, it, we are taking it at face, at face value that it's it's all joy splendid. One of your uh, characters says it, it's um, one of the characters says it's the the most tangible, entirely believable, mathematically verifiable Nirvana. Just a few right angle turns away from dear old boring reality, which is a, there you a, go a, yeah. a, a lovely phrase. It, I mean, the Nirvana I thought was a was a giveaway word there because you do if you sublime, you become as it were one with the. Next universe or the alternative universe? Kind of, yeah. It's still well. It depends how you define universe. You know, um, the proper dictionary de definition because it's uh, part of our reality that it must be still our universe in, in that sense. But I mean, in the implication of the uh, the, the wacky physics uh, that uh, running behind the scenes of the culture uh, and the whole thing about uh, the energy grids that exist between uh, concentric universes and there's lots of other universes, but. Uh, this, is like, this is still part of ours. It's just, as I say, it's enfolded within the, uh, the extra dimensions that superstring theory uh, requires. But uh, an individual going in would tend to, to lose their individuality. Yeah, it, I thought it, it, you need to be, to be a whole some, civilization. Yeah, there had to be some sort of rules and sort of regulations about it. And the ones that, that suited me for plot purposes were that uh, individuals, certainly you know, individuals like us, uh, it doesn't work. You kind of evaporate. Um, Minds, you know, capital M, you know, which is the artificial intelligence. AIs. So, yeah, very high level AIs. They can exist by themselves. They 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 work. They they can. Uh, uh, there's a degree of continuity, if you like. You know, they have an immortal soul, whereas we don't have. Um, and certainly, entire civilizations can go in, and there is a uh, you know, safety in numbers in that sense. You don't evaporate. You're you're still there, and to some degree, an individual as well within your contextualized within your civilization, which has a kind of translated um, form within within subliming. And minds, of course, effectively run the culture. I mean, do they oh, yeah. do they need people? Or, oh, yeah. Uh, humanoids, so, yeah. Totally. Well, the same way we need, um, well, pets, basically. Do we need cats? <laughs> do we need dogs? Do we need goldfish? Oh, yeah. I, mean, I think that to be in the culture is to acknowledge, you know, that one's um, position is really somewhere. If you imagine a triangle of meaning with, uh, right, parasites, pets, and passengers, that, you know, in, in the middle of that is where you exist as a human being within a, in a culture starship in particular. Um, but the humans are happy with that because the humans get to do what they have, what they, they do best, which is have fun. And they're freed from all the other responsibilities that have been taken over by, by the minds uh, who are quite happy to, you know, to, to let this happen. And the humans basically give the minds a reason to live, something to, to do, because they are so, you know, fabulously, you know, perfectly themselves. They have so little. They don't really have any real needs at all. 
but they do kind of need to feel useful and need to feel they're doing good. Um, and to the extent that's you know what the culture itself is is about in this you know fibrous post scarcity post scarcity society, people need to feel they're not just being self indulgent and just having the time of their lives. I mean they are, but they need to feel there is some sort of a greater you know cause going on. And so the interfering in other people's you know histories, other people's other societies, is part of what you know, lets them enjoy themselves with a clear conscience. It's the same problem with the minds, but raised to an extra level because they don't really have any of our weaknesses in, it, in a sense. But they do want to feel that their their lives are worthwhile and looking after us, looking well, looking after the humans and in the culture, making sure that we don't cause ourselves too much harm is uh, basically where they get their kicks. They feel, yeah, we've done the right thing. Well, I think you've raised our status a little bit above dogs, then. <laughs> Slightly, yeah. <laughs> Let's not do no dogs. Yeah, fine animals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if, if, thank goodness we have them. <laughs> Otherwise, our lives would be meaningless. Well, exactly. <laughs> So we've got this uh, this civilization, which is called, is it the Gazilt? Gazilt, yeah, Gazilt. That, that's how I pronounce it to myself, yeah. Well, yeah. That's always the problem, though, I know, with your books. Yeah. I, 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 do, you, do you spend a lot of time worrying about pronunciation? Not worrying, worrying no. <laughs> names you, because I, I look at these and I think, oh, yeah, I'm fine with that when it's written on the page. But then uh-huh. I'm going to be talking to you and I'm thinking... I know, yeah, it is a problem. How do I pronounce that? Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, there's a chap who was doing uh, the Culture Series as uh, his... Um, a specialist subject on mastermind. And so I had the BBC pronunciation department call up and say, Mr. Humphreys needs to know how to pronounce these words. And I had to go, I was making some up as I went along, quite frankly, because a lot of the stuff, I just it's just how you know, shape on the page. And I had to decide what, how it was actually going to be pronounced. You know, Almost the people doing the audiobooks must just wing it, I guess. You know, But they've always done a good job so far. So, so I mean, do you... Do you fret at all when you're making up names? Because there are no. a lot of made-up names. <laughs> no, in, in Stonemouth, in the last uh, of the, the main stream books, mm. you know, it, it's pretty easy. The hero's name is Stuart. Yeah. Well, well we can all cope with that. Ah. And, and then, you know, the second second most important character is called Ellie. Again, ah. easy to pronounce. Mm. Um, you've got a character called... Well, she, is she Veer Cossant? She's the... She's Veer, the, yeah, Veer Cossant. Yeah. She's, I think, the, the main character. Lieutenant Commander Reserve, uh, Veer Cossant, yes. Uh, we've got a... <laughs> I've pronounced him Shiminer. Am I Excuse going me? To, uh, the X I M I N E R. Well, I think you, the convention. I think with X is pronounced like a Z, so it's oh, I think okay. so. Yeah, that's how I understand it. See, anyway, I, I yeah. once learned a little bit of Chinese, and that would be ah, a sh- there. Sh- I was so, with the word, yeah. And, and yeah, I, I suspect yeah. that's what your readers do. They they, like, it, yeah. they pronounce it in whatever way, whichever <laughs> foreign sense. language they've got uh-huh. a smattering of. Their background is. That informs yeah. their pronunciation. Fair enough. I'm, I'm quite cool with that. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, there's one called um, Is he. Quiria, Chiria? Chiria. Chiria. I think I went for Chiria, yeah. You see, that would be a Chinese pronunciation. Or was it Quiria? I can't remember now. I can change I my mind halfway through. Sorry about um, that. No, no, that's okay. No, I, I, it was a great, it was a wonderful discovery, the fact that Scrabble will accept QI, you know, as a, as a, a word you can put down. Uh, with my girlfriend and myself, you know, we played Scrabble often for the, the train or whatever. Um, and uh, a wonderful discovery. So you no longer had to wait for that U before you... Uh, for you could uh, do anything with the, the queue that was sitting there and potentially costing you 10 points in your rack. Um, so I think it might have been Qi, which is, a, again, a correct uh, Chinese pronunciation, as far as I understand it, or maybe Quiria. I don't think I ever quite settled that in one head, quite frankly. Well, well, we'll busk it. Well, let a thousand flowers bloom, that's what I say. Well, Vercassant is uh, part of the Gazilt. Uh, mm. She's got four arms. She has, yeah. She's had surgery done, so uh, specifically so that she can play the antagonistic, the antagonistic undickigon string, which is uh, for for you know for the, the short version of which name is uh, the eleven string. Although confusingly, it actually has twenty four strings. And it, it 
it, it was in, actually created, um, as you make clear, to play a, a piece of music that had been written. In fact, its, its name is T.C. Valabier's uh, 26 string specific sonata for an instrument yet to be invented, which they then invent and uh-huh. which then she yeah. actually. And that has another name. It's called the Hydrogen Sonata. Okay. The Hydrogen Sonata. Impossible to play and um, not good to listen to. Uh, oh, rubbish. Yeah, just terrible, ghastly, atonal stuff. It looks brilliant on the page. You know, it's really good. That's where it really lives and, and breathes is on the page. And particularly when it's um, uh, one of the, the, the ships, being a ship, being a mind, it actually invents a, a new form of musical notation to make it even more beautiful. But to actually listen to it is ghastly. You know? um, I mean, I speak as someone who... Uh, I have very sort of conventional taste in music in the sense that I, I like melody. I've realised over the years it's the thing that means the most to me in music. Uh, it's not lyrics, much as I can you know I can love and respect but, uh, lyrics uh, or a beat because I'm not not really that bored about dancing. Uh, it's melody that really does it for me, and so I find the vast majority of what you might call modern classical music uh, m- mostly unlistenable, you know, frankly. Uh, so so that's me kind of you know putting my uh, fit my oar in there and well, saying this you, is you the, describe this, this piece. About, it, yeah. it starts off on a uh, single sustained yeah, note, which no, is at the very yeah. top of the instrument. The idea is that it's, then, it's meant to be part of a, an entire sort of uh, suite or uh, collection. So it's called the hydrogen sonata. So it's meant to represent hydrogen, you know, which obviously only has two uh, fundamental particles. So that's why it's got just two, one thing and then and a second thing it starts. So it's like your uh, nucleus and then your electron. And then the, the chord comes in and ah. then it gets very quickly much, much more yes. complicated. And in theory, there would be another about 100 of them, you know. Mm. The Gazilt also are interesting because they have a holy book which is unique in the universe because... Mm. Yeah, because it tells the truth, demonstrably. It actually makes, um, in a sense, scientific. Or, well, it, it makes... Um, Assumptions, or it comes up with ideas that uh, turn out to be true. It uh, it seems to, for example, presuppose the idea of you know four dimension, four dimensionality, and um, hyperspace and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, it would appear that it really does come from beyond the normal kind. It hasn't just been made up by by one of the locals. Although, in, in in the same way as the Book of Mormon, it actually appears physically to to the to the prophet who mm. who uh, who then becomes its 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 first proponent, mm-hmm. um, and it appears on uh, who is it? Slabs of slate or something. Uh, yeah, delivered by meteorite, uh, but it's in slate or whatever. I think, yeah, uh, but yeah, but that's idea is it does. It's the only. It's uniquely, it's the only holy book that kind of looks like it might be in some sense, you know, pucker. <laughs> it actually, looks genuine because as, as science develops, ah, uh-huh, yeah, because it, be true. yeah, uh-huh, precisely. Yeah, no one could have known that at the time. Yeah, you, you, I, we, we've said this before, but you, you really, you never miss a trick, do you, to have a, a go at these uh, these religious tropes and these these conventions? Oh, yeah, I think uh, religion still needs a good kicking at every possible opportunity, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, my, my line in that hasn't, um, you know, <laughs> hasn't mellowed in the least, absolutely not. Well, there's still, most people still believe in it, you know. I'm, I'm in a tiny minority of people who just think it's all nonsense, you know. Um, that's where it is, that's people want to live their lives, most people do, do believe, so... Um, but I just think you can't let that go. You have to. Uh, I'm lucky I live in a society that lets me do that as well without being, you know, sort of threatened with death or imprisonment or something. So I'm making full use of it, basically. Let's talk about sex a little bit. Uh, okay, okay. I want to. I want to suggest there's a divide in in your writing in in the culture books in the science fiction. Mm. Sex is essentially recreational, mm. and there's a certain amount of, se- of recreational sex in this one as well. I mean, it's always. Plot driven. It's always for the best, you know, completely justified. Best possible taste, best darling. Possible taste. Yes. Um, in your mainstream books, sex is problematic. It's quite often the motor 
mm. uh, or one of the events that has driven the absolutely crisis. well Stonewall it certainly is in Stonewall absolutely when, yeah, 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 when yeah, um, yeah. Stuart is misbehaves with um, well, jail yeah. um, it, it, in the steep approach to Garberdale it was there's a, a background crucial uh-huh. um, yeah, yeah. sex uh, issue uh, is, does that Tell us something about your outlook. Do you look forward to a, a time when sex is purely recreational and doesn't create any problems for us? Uh, I think it'll always create problems for us. I think as long as we m- remain, you know, demonstrably human, I think it is always we're always going to get the, you know, the, the various meanings of of love mixed up. You know, and we we said love and we talked about the act of love. Um, I think that as long as we are who we are, remotely like. Uh, as we are at the moment, uh, it will always cause us problems. Um, but yeah, I think that you can probably look forward to uh, in the fu- future it being less problematic. But uh, yeah, it still drives so much of what we do now, you know, and that's just that's basically just facing reality, I, I reckon. But um, yeah, I think in the future maybe we'll have got rid of some of our hang-ups and uh, it won't matter quite so much. We'll have more control over stuff. And I think once you can, uh, as you can in the culture, once you can uh, change sex, you can you can over a course of a year or whatever you can become. The other gender, you know, um, that will make a big difference as well. I think most people uh, have had experience of being the other lot, as it were. Uh, you'll uh, be less inclined to your know, sort of sexism, whatever. Well, so you might be a bit optimistic. Perhaps I am. Being, who but can say? what yeah. I think is consistent in your writing, in in in, on, in both strands, is is that women know what they're doing. Women know where they're coming from in your books. Men men can get. Um, can get can stray and, and mm. get lost in themselves. On the whole, the women actually know who they are. I think so. Yeah, I mean, I've, it struck me long ago. I mean, I think even before the first culture book was actually published, um, that in, in many ways the the so the ethos of, of the, the culture is is female. It's more sort of female than, than male in a way. Um, and and that, that's one reason why <laughs> grown so, up to use another. Uh, yes, <laughs> well, exactly. Mature, yeah, <laughs> not daft boys. Um, uh, yeah, so I think that, that's quite a deliberate thing, you know. Uh, but I, I like women. I respect them. I think they're often much more sensible than you know as chaps. Um, uh, and also, and to some degree, also, it's kind of trying to redress the balance of it. I mean, so much of our, uh, you know, our literature and um, you know, our entertainment and, and art and so on is is from a male perspective, uh, especially uh, sort of popular entertainment, I guess. Uh, uh, and I can remember growing up watching stuff where it looked like no woman could ever run unless a man was holding her hand. Uh, and if they're running away from the bad guys, they twisted their own ankle. They always yeah. tripped over, you know, the the tree root, or whatever, and he had to go back to her and, and protect her and so on, blah blah. blah. Um, and then uh, you that had stuff the Avengers. Annoyed me so. Ah, and, now and, we're talking. And, yeah, and Diana, Rigg, Rigg, and Diana Rigg, who yes. came and kicked ass for Absolutely. Steve. Absolutely, yeah. Which was fabulous, yeah. Uh, but that's just the one instance. There was far too little. There was so much other stuff that was just back to the same old sexist stereotype. So there's an element of trying to redress the balance of it just by coming down hard on that end of the, the seesaw, as it were. <laughs> well, let's go back to Vera Corsant then mm. a bit. Um, one of the intriguing things about her um, is that she has a, 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 a familiar... Hmm. A and I, it presumably is an artificial. It's not a. It's not oh yeah, a, oh, yeah it is, organic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But what is it? Uh, oh, it just looks like a scarf, and it's just a. It's a again, it's a pet. It's a companion. It talks to her. Something you can talk to. Uh huh. Yeah. It's like a pet. Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. It's a sort of uh, yeah, an intelligent pet, a very intelligent pet. Like a very, well, yeah, I guess uh, as smart, almost as smart as she is, and she's quite smart. But uh, at the same time, uh, <laughs> there's no doubt about you know, what the relationship is about. You know, she's she's in charge, and the pet is slightly annoying. Yeah, so it's not, isn't it, as smart as her? It's a bit, uh, a bit trite as well. You do like your, um, 
your artificial intelligences though you've got a an android in this uh, in this book who um is convinced that it's all a simulation yeah. and that what is happening and the perils that they're in uh-huh. is, is is going to come to the end and it'll and it'll turn off and it'll get rebooted yeah uh-huh yeah um i don't yeah that was some that's an idea i had lying around for a while just thought it'd be a nice nice place to to employ in, in this book it's like that sort of perspective um I mean, it's kind of the way the machines think anyway. If you can get, you know, rebooted, no matter what happens to you, if you're, you're effectively immortal because you've got backups. And you kind of but that, that's anyway, true for the uh, for the people as well. That some, they, yeah. I mean, not not for Vera, for example. Not for her, because she yeah. doesn't have the, the neural substrate. Yeah, she doesn't have the neural lace. Lace, yeah, that, uh-huh. uh, yeah. that would allow her, her mind state to be mm. read. Yeah. But right. the other ones who do, and the important ones, mm. can be can be backed up. Uh-huh, which absolutely. Is yeah. also quite chilling thought. Well, yeah, and... Because in the end, you still die. You know, there might be another you comes along, but you, you know, effectively do still die. But I mean, arguably, that's a problem in Star Trek as well. You know, <laughs> in Sporter, you get, basically get destroyed and then recreated, you know. We, this character, Chiria, though, um, mm. he, he's been living for uh, like 10,000 years. He's fantastic. Mm. He's, he's achieved this trick of not dying. Absolutely, um, yes. And uh, he, he, he has a philosophy. Um, he, life has no meaning. Or, or its own meaning. Mm. And as he gets older, he says he watches people be cruel and malevolent. And uh, he says the compassionate in that circumstance will commit suicide as they watch what yeah, the they're prone to, do to, prone to that. Yeah. And the slightly yeah. unkind, among whom he counts himself, mm. yes. will just take an interest in the, in the new ways that people find to torment each other. Is that is that your outlook? I think it is becoming so, yeah. As I've got older, you know, and you see your fresh generations being as stupid, you know, as, as earlier ones. Yeah, it's a bit of that. I think there's, there's obviously it's a huge exaggeration. You know, I'm you know, not, not even 60 yet, whereas he is like nearly 10,000. So you see it a bit more, yeah. But I think there's, there's an element of that, certainly, yeah. And you, you, get, you get used to people, you know, um, not understanding, not not understanding history, not not getting history, not studying history. Um, I think if you you just just live your life from first principles, then you will you will incline you will be inclined to make the same mistakes as earlier generations. Even you know, you might despise them for what they've done, or at least you know. There's that attitude that the young always have, you know. Thank goodness, in a way, of. Well, look at the state of this world. What were you thinking? You know, to the, the elders and supposedly better. The elders generally yeah, learn. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Better. Yeah, you know, and so they get to work and they you know, sort of spit in the palms and rub the sleeves and you know get stuck into it. And you need that youthful enthusiasm. You absolutely have to have that. Otherwise, probably no progress at all. But at the same time, eventually, people do often get a bit, you know, sort of um, jaundiced about the whole thing, and you realise that, well, actually, they set out with exactly the previous generation set out with the same, you know, sort of idealism and determination to. Make the world anew, and uh, you're sort of part of a continuous, you know, sort of rolling boil. As, as old as he is, though, Chiria also uh, he he can park his memories in various bits of his body and mm. have them removed so he doesn't have to remember. Yeah, in case they're risky. Yeah, in case they're <laughs> troublesome. <laughs> yes, which he does. Uh-huh. and that's you know a very large part of the the book is the search for, uh, yeah, it, deliberately emplaced and and removed memories. Yeah. In pretty much all of your science fiction books, there there will be at least one, usually several images that that just stay with the reader um uh, forever i mean in, in in um in the player of games that planet on which the, there's a, a sort of rolling uh oh the fire planet uh-huh. yeah, the fire planet yeah. that's going round and round the planet uh, like once a year or mm, something mm. Uh, i can i can't forget and and in uh, in consider flebus there was, there was a, like a 2 kilometer high train at one point out of control um 
I mean, do you do you look for something? Do you, do you think oh, this this will get them going? The Girdle City in uh -huh, in, yeah, yeah. in this book in in the Hydrogen Sonata is a, a city that's been built by another civilization, not the Gazil, mm. but they've taken it long over. Gone, yeah. uh, a long gone civilization that just for fun has built a city that goes all the way around the equator of the of mm. the world. And sticks above the atmosphere, yeah. And I mean, I, and that. That I'm absolutely sure we'll do the same thing. I will okay, be able yeah. to think of that five years from now yeah. and remember where. where and it will look good from. if they ever make a film of it, you know. Uh, we, we <laughs> Vanishingly see. unlikely that I might appear at the moment. Um, CGI. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, Inception and the Matrix. Yeah, I just mean got lots of these the kinds have of to want to make a film in the first place. You know, that's what I mean. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not. It's not. Uh, me, it's much more enthusiastic than that. It's just me trying to think of stuff that will impress. Me, you know, I'm not sure I'm trying to um, think what you will like impress my readers. Well, oh, I love it. Yeah, and it's, it's one of the great benefits of writing science fiction is that you can just do anything of any size. And because you're doing it in prose rather than actually with CGI or anything that, that might cost money you know, to, to produce images thereof, you know, uh, it, scale doesn't matter in science in written science fiction. You know, uh, it takes just as many words to describe something that's uh, tiny as something that's in, incomparably, you know, vast, whatever. So, uh, yeah, you could, you've got an infinite special effects budget, so you might as well use it. That's what's been my attitude. Yeah. Well, there are bound to be bits and pieces that I've I've sort of lost track of in the in the, the previous books as well. Have you ever thought about like doing a Silmarillion of the culture? <laughs> I do have a thing called culture facts that I refer to, which is, it started out when I, I realised I couldn't remember what colour the drones aura fields turned when they were angry or whatever. Uh, and that was the basis. So I've now got this document on the computer that I refer to it so I don't make any It's been quite a big document, isn't it? It's getting quite big, yeah. Uh -huh, yeah. But, uh, I've still got to go through all the books properly and not note down every single, you know, sort of newly minted word or whatever. So uh, it's, it's not quite as comprehensive as it might be. I probably missed one or two things. but um, And I, I did actually find uh, a continuity error. I think it was an accession where it, uh, it appeared to sort of be both before and after an earlier novel, or an earlier published novel. So I had to sort of do a little bit of judicious editing. It's only like a couple of words, but it, it does now fit in. Later editions of accession now fit into the time uh, time scale properly. Um, and apparently there's already people saying, well, you've got this wrong. You've, uh, uh, in Hydrogen Sonata, uh, uh, the quietest section doesn't exist. Well, the reason for this is quietest being the bit that deals with things for the dead, I think. Anyway, the reason it doesn't exist because the book's set about six year, 600 years earlier than surface detail. Um, and the way to tell is simply to look for a mention of the Adiron War. And the uh, it's, in surface detail, you're told it's 1,500 years earlier, and in this one, it's only like 800 years earlier or whatever. Uh, so that tells you this actually takes place before the last one as well. Wow. Well, if you're not doing it, somebody else is doing a Silmarillion. Probably, <laughs> Some, yeah. Somebody somewhere <laughs> is, is keeping track. As so you, they get I guess it right, you really yeah. need to. Yeah, well, I do. I, yeah, I say, as, as, as the series goes on, I, I do have to. Because you do, sure you do attract the kinds of fans who who will know and will. Yeah, I bet they come up to you in uh, signings with a sort of wild eye and say, "Ah, Ian, is it not true that?" And well, not so far. Which, I mean, either they don't care, or <laughs> <laughs> or I've just got it so devastatingly correct every single time. That there's no mistakes to to notice. Have those, I, I doubt that, mind you. Have those fans picked up on um, on ebooks significantly? I was thinking, oh, science fiction. That he'll be selling more in ebooks than he is in hardback. But then it, I I wondered about that. I can imagine. 
all those people wanting it in their hand. I suppose I don't know. I don't. I never look at the figures to be honest. So, uh, I take a very sort of patrician. You know, what you would want because the cover is beautiful. Oh yes, you need, yeah, you need yeah. a Kindle quite cover tactile as well, with yeah. with the uh, with the aha uh-huh. yeah, yeah. image on it, so you can put it on your Kindle while yeah. you're reading or your your. You also want some sort of form of touchscreen, so you, someone can give you their, their Kindle and you can uh, actually, you know, you can do a signature on it, so that you know when you open up a, a, the, the book subsequently, it will have you know, a. To yeah. you know, a dedication to the individual and your name there on, you know. Um, at the moment, I've, I've signed a few Kindles in my time, but you have to use one of these silver or gold pens and do it on the back, you know. And I ask, do I should I leave new room for other writers? <laughs> no, 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 just. I don't know, know, just, just, just you, Ian. Yeah. I'll, I'll be, I'll be, right. be <laughs> back to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I get out my dental drill and then. <laughs> a million dollar and idea. Size it onto the uh, onto the screen. That'd be even better, you know. <laughs> well. The new book is The Hydrogen Sonata. It's mm-hmm. £20. Pounds. Uh, Ian Banks, Ian M. Banks, Ian thank M. you Banks, very much. Yeah. My pleasure. That was Tim Haig Reads Books. Tim Haig Reads Books is a Green Shoot production. You can find out more at www.green-shoot.com and Tim can be contacted on tim at green-shoot.com.